Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Rodents of Unusual Size explores a little-known region of South New Orleans that survived Hurricane Katrina and is now facing its latest threat, hordes of monstrous 20-pound rodents known as nutria. Louisiana's coastal wetlands are one of the largest disappearing landmasses in the world, and the voracious appetite of these curious and unexpected invasive species from South America is greatly accelerating coastal erosion, which in turn makes the area even more vulnerable to hurricanes. As the coastline disappears, the hunters and trappers and fishermen and shrimpers, storytellers and musicians that make Louisiana a country unto itself are leaving en masse. Nonetheless, a stalwart few remain and are fighting back. We are joined today by one of the co-directors of the film Rodents of Unusual Size, in addition to Quinn Costello and Chris Metzler. We also are joined today by... Jeff Springer. Jeff, welcome to Film School. Welcome back, actually, to Film thank School. You, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you were here for uh, Everyday Sunshine, the story of Fishbone, a terrific documentary. I'm glad you were kind enough to come back and join us. The film is uh, one of those where you might, and I'm just saying this to the audience, not to you, Jeff, but to the audience, and mm-hmm. that is you might initially think, wow, this is a film about giant rats. I'm not so sure that this is a good thing for, you know, they, they might be a little bit put off. Please don't be, because it is about this invasion of this invasive species, but it's it's about a lot more and a lot of stuff that you, you, you just really need to know about. And that is the beauty of this film. It's sort of as a gateway into this wonderful world that we all are fascinated with, the region of New Orleans and and the the coastal region, and uh, so the, it's a it's well worth your time to to check out this film. Tell me, Jeff, how you and your your collaborators Chris and Quinn got into this project. Well, we had heard about the the story um, just through reading some articles, and then um, Chris and I had thought it it was a really interesting environmental story because. Um, it's kind of not what you would expect. It's it's you can you know save the wetlands by kind of eliminating this these huge hordes of twenty pound rodents, and so it was kind of not what you'd expect. And, um, and a lot of people hadn't heard of it. And then um, um, Quinn had actually um, knew someone that was working in the nature control program, and um, he had just gone to visit New Orleans and then just started hearing about how some people were. Um, trying to create a demand for these rodents and, in turn, save the wetlands. So they were, you know, using them as clothes, the fur, and, um, you know, trying to get people to eat them. And so um, with the idea that, you know, if you could create this demand, it would help um, keep them under control. And so um, I think we all just uh, decided to work on it together um, to tell this interesting story, I think, that a lot of people haven't heard about. Yeah. Yeah, and it, that part of the film is fascinating because, well, the film, first of all, does a lot of different things, but it talks about the nutria and their impact on the on that uh, community and on the environment. But it's also through the, the eyes and, and the stories of uh, Thomas Gonzalez and others, we get a, a glimpse into this world that uh, is sort of legendary, 
but we but I don't think a lot of people actually know much about the the actual community of the mm-hmm. bayou. How did you get to know Tom Gonzalez? What was sort of I mean, he seems to be our guide in many ways into this into this film, but tell how did you sort of get to know not only Tom but the people of the community in order to tell the story? Well, actually, I mean, we had been asking around um, for just to meet some nutrient hunters, and um, and then we just heard about they were like, oh, if you want to meet a nutrient hunter, you got to go talk to Thomas Gonzalez, and so I think very soon we had discovered, and then once we met him, we knew he was just a fascinating character, and and, and soon after we started filming, we, we decided that he would be kind of the main thread of the film. But um, as far as meeting a lot of the other people in the that we ended up featuring in the film, one of the best places to do that was the tail collection site. So there's these two guys that drive around the state collecting nutria tails, and people bring them in for their $5 a tail, and they ask them questions, and they basically set up this trailer in a a parking lot at different locations so people can come. It's not like a schedule, and we would just wait in the parking lot and wait for nutrient hunters to show up, and then, you know, we would talk to them and just see, okay, um, and sometimes we would just, you know, immediately get a pressure like, oh, this person's really interesting, or we would talk to the guys that did the the guys that did tail collection, and they would be like, oh, you have to really talk to this person, and and one of the pieces we we learned um, about that way was was Liz, who's the the female um, nutrient hunter, and we just immediately knew when she showed up that we would like to talk to her more. So a lot of it was through that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's back up a step with in, ter- in terms of this and and talk about the sort of the history of Nutria, uh, how they how they came to the region and sort of moving forward. How, how, so these are and to start, I guess, at the basics. These are at least 20-pound rodents. Is that that fair? Yeah. Start from there. Yeah. These giant yeah, rodents yeah. we see walking around. So, and uh, what's the sort of the backstory on, on them and being in the region? Well, they were brought basically in the 1930s, 40s for fur farms. So, um, you know, if you want to make a fur coat, this is kind of a cheap alternative um, to, like, mink and everything. And so, so it's kind of more accessible and and basically there's a lot of kind of pyramid schemes that are like oh start your own nutrient farm and you can find advertisements from that time and people would invest in, in the nutrient farm and so they were brought that way and actually our, our co-director quinn um part of the family fortune was um <laughs> put into a nutrient um scheme and then uh, they lost that money so um oh, that they, right? <laughs> they were brought to the uh, <laughs> and then this is in oregon for him and he didn't really know that until we are actually making the film and then he found out that he actually had this family history with it um but they were brought you know during that time and um and they were actually you know by the 50s and 60s they were actually really popular and, you know, there's there a lot of, you know, movie stars that wore it, and it was a really, you know, popular fur. Um, and then basically what happened is, you know, in the 1980s, fur fell out of fashion, and there was, um, and, you know, people stopped wearing it, and the result was, is, well, people didn't go out and hunt them anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the population exploded after that, because these things just breed like crazy to, you know, they... They have um, several, you know, babies a year, a year and it just they um, they get out of control. And so what happened is um, after there was no longer that fur market, um, the state stepped in and offered a five dollar a tail bounty. So that bounty program is what kind of 
stimulates um, this fur market. Um, and then so it, it, it gave incentive for hunters to go out and hunt them again. And it keeps a lot of these people that live in the area who are normally shrimpers and fishermen and such, it keeps them afloat in the off-season. Yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, they're in the, they, have, they live by the cycles of the seasons and everything. And, you know, crab season's only so long. Like, they're in crab season right now. And, and so, you know, Thomas, can, we saw them actually yesterday. We were um, screening in New Orleans, and we had um, shown Thomas the film for the first time and, and saw the family again. And, and so they're out fishing crabs now, and then alligator season will come. And then, um, you know, in the, in the winter, it's nutrient. So um, it really does keep them afloat. And, 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 you know, Thomas says in the film it's almost like, you know, he's almost indebted to this animal. It's like it rips up the wetlands, but it's also it does give him uh, a means to, you know, financially... Yeah, and we'll we'll get into him a little more in terms of his connection to the bayou and his sort of this uh, visceral heritage thing that he has. He how he feels like, and we and because there's a lot of things going on in the film um, that relate to he and others. You mentioned Liz as well. Uh, Real quick on the on the nutria sort of their mating season. Apparently, every three months or so they. they mate, and um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which so there's <laughs> there's that, and their breasts uh, on the females, their breasts are on their back, so they can literally be, I yeah. guess, um, in the water and still be able to uh, to nurse their young. So, and the statistics are pretty overwhelming. In case they don't understand how much of a, a threat these are to the uh, to the wetlands, what was the they topped out at how many? In the film, you mentioned the number about twenty-five million. 20. They they predicted they had, um, and so now with the bounty program, and which has been pretty successful, yeah. um, that uh, they're down to several million now. Yeah. Um, and you know the thing is, they they understand is just they'll never be able to get rid of them. They're just there's just too many places for them to go, and and they breed so quickly that you know it would be next impossible to, to completely eradicate them. Um, in a place like Louisiana, at least, they've been eradicated in other you know, places with different weather and uh, situations. But with the swamps as they are, there's always somewhere for them to hide. And, and so the nutrient control program is basically, you know, accepts that, and that's not their goal to get rid of them, but just to kind of keep them in check. So right. as long as they can kind of keep the population down, then it, it does a lot for the wetlands. Right, it doesn't do the, the level of damage. And by the way, just for, just for a little bit of trivia's sake, and keep, case people who are listening to the, our our conversation are into Seinfeld. Actually, uh, Nutria had a Seinfeld moment. It, are you aware of that? Yeah. You know the oh, episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, the Nutria hat, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's George, bought, George had to, to, uh, to uh, buy a, 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 like, a, like a winter cap that he had. Yes, that's right. So you remember exactly. Okay, I was wondering <laughs> if you did. Um, well, we, I always been a fan of Seinfeld, but it was funny because I don't think I, or maybe I'd seen an episode, but then after doing the movie, it was like, oh, there's this Seinfeld thing, and so I went back and, and checked that episode out. But yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um, now, now uh, by the way, we're, we're speaking with Jeff Springer. He's a, a co-director of the film Rodents of Unusual Size. Uh, his co- directors are Quinn Costello and Jeff uh, Metzler, and um, 
we've talked a lot about Nutria and the impact and all and all of the sort of different ramifications of uh, of that. But the film is also about this community, and it's about its sort of uh, ability to stay alive. To to I, I don't know if thrive is the right right word, but to at least weather some remarkable setbacks, including hurricanes and now yeah. an infestation of Nutria. Uh, and that's really a lot of what this is. A, the film is about is these the resilience of the people in the film. Um, was this something that sort of evolved over the course of making the film that you just sort of came to this this part of the story and really embraced it? Yeah, I think for us, it you know, of course, the the issue of the of the coastal erosion due to the nutrient, and, and which in turn makes everyone more vulnerable to hurricanes. So the, it's the nutrient threat actually does make them more vulnerable to thing because once you get, lose um, those wetlands, there's not as much of a barrier. And we just quickly, you know, realized that the human story was really, you know, in some ways the most interesting part just because I think you can relate. It's easier to relate to, you know, a human than, you know, a 20-pound road. So I think <laughs> it was um, by telling these people's stories you could understand what would be lost. So with what their culture and, and, you know, their heritage in that area. And, you know, someone like Thomas Gonzalez, is, his family has basically been on the same island for like 250 years. And he, he says his, his people came over with Columbus, you know, so from the Canary Islands. So they've been there for so long. And, um, but this, this island could disappear in the next 20, 30 years. So due to this nutrient problem and hurricanes. Yeah, and excuse me, and it's a really terrific part of the story. It really is. Um, in, in in addition to Thomas and his family, I believe his wife Joan and their son. Um, it is the way they talk about their connection to the land uh, and and this this sense of place that they have with um, these wetlands, and it that really brings uh, brings in this humanizing element into the film. There are others we we see the musician uh, who is also a, 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 chef, a gourmet chef. I thought that was a, a fun mm-hmm. thing, sort of adapting to the nutria. There's there's a whole. You know, I mean, a lot of this film is about how that community has adapted to it. In addition to shooting them, and but there is a sort of a comeback of sorts for fur, right? And other other industries around nutria. Yeah. It, it, so this this collective a uh, righteous fur has um, you yeah. know, had the mission for the last 10 years to basically, you know, try to create a demand for fur again. And it's kind of had a lot of appeal um, for kind of like, you know, younger hipster types have found that there's something cool about the, the nature of fur. But also there's been some major designers that um, have, have tried using nature fur. And it actually makes, it, you know, but it's also people have an emotional response to fur. It's still a dead animal. And so even though it makes a lot of sense um, than using something like the fake fur, which is, you know, petroleum-based, like, um, it actually, I think it's, it's, it's hard for them to, to really get it to take off, you know. Yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, um, they have, besides the sort of the fur part of it, they're, they're also using it now as a, a part of their diet, um, even though there is probably some initial reaction and resistance. Uh, there are people in in the community that have figured out ways to make this. Uh, I, I don't know if it's delicacy. What, how much have they embraced that part of it? Yeah, it's, just, it's also a hard sell, too. I think just because um, you know, food is, is also another emotional thing that 
people have. And in a place like Louisiana, there's so much delicious things to eat. Um, there's shrimp and crawfish and, you know, alligator and all these things that are available and crab and, you know, and so it's, it's kind of a difficult sell as well. I mean, the state started, um, before they did the bounty program, they created the um, Nutri for Human Consumption Campaign, which essentially they went to, you know, cooking shows and got famous chefs to do recipes and, and, um, you know, try to do a traditional Louisiana food with Nutria. And that wasn't too successful, so they, they went on to the bounty program. And, um, you know, then there's people like Kermit in the film, um, the jazz musician, and, and Susan Spicer, who's a rather well-known chef in the French Quarter. Um, they will cook it occasionally, but it, it's all, it, part of the problem is getting a supply chain. So, you know, the FDA has a lot of regulations on the meat needing to be refrigerated and when it's brought in from the bayou and, and how that is, is actually kind of one of the more difficult things. Yeah. People like Susan Spicer, the chef, has said, oh, I would try putting them on a menu, but I just, I need a, a constant supply of it. Yeah. And so the thing that has worked out rather well is, is for pet food. So there's actually a uh, company in, in Baton Rouge called Marsh Dog, and they make um, dog jerky and biscuits and things out of nutrients. So they've been doing rather well. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. That is truly good to hear because these people <laughs> need help. They, I mean, the economy there is dependent upon uh, petroleum and refineries and things that are, at the end of the day, not very healthy and and fish. And it also impacts the ability to fish in the Gulf and all the different horrible things that have happened in the Gulf in terms of oil spills is, is also impacting their lives as well as the erosion. There are a lot of these people are, are really struggling and anything that, that can be done to essentially save them and their way of life is to be uh, applauded, and that's what's that's what they've adapted. Yeah. They've adapted to it. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. well, uh, the film again is uh, rodents of unusual size, and as we as I said, we're we're speaking with one of the co-directors, Jeff Springer, as well as Quinn Costello and and Chris Metzler are are also part of the project. The film is opening here in Los Angeles uh, today, September fourteenth, as we speak. You and I believe um, your co-directors are in town at the it's screening at the Monica um, Film Center in Santa Monica. And are you you're in town, as I understand? Yeah, yeah, we'll be we'll be there. All three of us will actually be there for Q and A's after on um, Friday and Saturday. So we, any questions that you may have about twenty pound rodents, we'll be there to <laughs> answer them. Well, I'm sure that they will be lining up to ask you about 20 pound rodents. <laughs> as long as you don't bring any with you, I think they're gonna, they're gonna, everyone will be just fine. So, um, well, it's funny you, you mentioned that because uh, we just did our um, theatrical run in Louisiana, and we had um, a trained nutria at the screening. So people, um, we used it for a few shots in the movie, and, and right. the people actually Make got to come up with. Up close and personal with the nutria, but the nutria will not be coming to Los Angeles. Okay, all right, yeah, that's right. There is the one man who's who who kills who who does the 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 uh, rodent hunting or the nutria hunting, but has managed to make one of them his pet, and he's yeah. So that's yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It really is a fascinating film, and it's a lot of fun. And I think yeah, I think the approach you took is is just right with it. Uh, it's uh, it's a you know, terrific work as you have done with uh, with your other work. So um, congratulations. Uh, to you, Jeff, and uh, we'll look forward to more. Um, again, we've been speaking with 
Uh, Jeff Springer, he's co-director along with Quinn Costello and Chris Metzler, the uh, directors of Rodents of Unusual Size. As I said, it's at the Monica Lemley Monica Film Center, and uh, the, the, the trio will be there tonight and tomorrow night to uh, answer your questions. And nothing better in the world than to go to a theater, watch a great film, and then have the opportunity to talk to the artist who put it together. So check it out. Thank you, Jeff. Great. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 